Hello, and welcome to an over-budget episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, we'll be wrapping up our Thunder trilogy with 2008's Tropic Thunder. We'll get into five-point inspection with Trailer Trash, Hollywood Trilogy, Elephant in the Room, Cruise Like Thunder, and In the Shit. Before we do, let's check in on the shop. Hey Cole, it's Travis from Hollywood Shop Shop. Just wanted to confirm, 3 p.m. today? Right, right, now that's that's been worked out. We've got them, Cole, it's fine. Listen, we've got plenty of goddamn jelly beans for you, okay? No, 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 we never agreed to that. It, it's not in the contract, Cole. Go ahead and, go ahead and take a look at it. Look, I, I don't know what kind of has-been race car driver, cokehead, power play you're trying to pull here, but if you fuck this up, Brett will head down there and rain an ungodly fucking firestorm upon you. You're gonna have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to keep him from fucking destroying you. I'm talking about scorched earth, motherfucker. He will massacre you. He will fuck you up. Uh, hey, Miko, gotta hand it to you. People are already lining up outside for this cold trickle autograph session. Yeah, great. Whoa, why the long face? Cole's at the casino, and he sounds shit-faced, and now he's demanding a TiVo for his dressing room. A TiVo? Do they even still make those? Jesus Christ, this is going to be a disaster. I told you he was going to be a waste of money. Toss me the keys to the work truck. What? Where are you going? These damn washed-up celebrities. What you got to do is you got to pull down their pants, and you got to spank their ass. You got to spank it. You spank that ass, Brent. And when I get back, we're discussing Tropic Thunder. An ensemble cast is assembled as a fake ensemble cast filming a gritty Vietnam War flick written by a true patriot. As the director of the movie within a movie loses control of his washed up, drugged out, hot dogging, inexperienced, and untrained actors, he resorts to unconventional means to motivate his talent. With the looming threat of an over the top studio exec, the cast and crew must get the picture back on track before all hell rains down on them. Alright, Travis. We'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I want to know your quick diagnostic of 2008's Tropic Thunder. I remember absolutely loving this movie. I think this was uh, kind of, quote-unquote, one of our movies, you know, mm -hmm. uh, being you and me. I, I don't know why. It's not one that I regularly revisit. I, I couldn't say the last time I watched this movie. It's been at least five years. So I always I had the concern that I typically do on Hollywood Chop Shop. I'm like, is this going to hold up if I really take a look at it? Uh, yeah, I forgot that this is probably one of my favorite comedies of all time. Like it might be this versus the Big Lebowski. Uh, super bad. Yeah, super bad. It's in that that level. Like I was number one. It, it fits our criteria. It's well under two hours. It does not overstay mm -hmm. its welcome and. Man, I sat down and watched it, and it it flew by. Um, so yeah, like I said uh, before, we got on mic. I, I think a lot of the stuff I'll say will fit into our five points, so I'll kind of just leave it there. But yeah, I was not disappointed one bit. 
Uh, I thought the same thing. It was one of those, I remember loving it when, when we first watched it. I don't know why it's been so long since I watched it. There was a lot of it I did not remember and it actually felt very fresh to me. At the same time, there were moments where I was literally on my seat because I knew what was about to happen. Like, when the... <laughs> When Damien is walking through that field, oh my god, because I know what's about to happen. I, dude, smile across my face, like Joker-sized grin, where I'm just like, I know he's about to blow up. I know he's about to fucking blow up. I know he's about to blow up. And then he finally blew up, and I still laughed hysterically when it happened. Like, the movie is still hysterical. What I think is more interesting, and I'm just going to jump right into five points here, with Hollywood trilogies, I Maybe it's because I wasn't thinking about it critically when we watched it. I did not realize how critical of Hollywood this movie was. Like, after watching, I was like, fuck, we should have swapped this out with the producers, and this should have been in our Hollywood trilogy, because a lot of the subtext and a lot of this movie is actually just shots at Hollywood. <laughs> and Yeah, just the vanity of actors and the lengths that they'll go to to, to try to win fake awards that don't matter. Yeah, just how vain everybody is. Like how vain everybody is, like the, the you know, uh, what is it, the, the TiVo, how, like, it doesn't matter, but that's the thing that they'll latch onto. I completely forgot about the fake trailers at the beginning, and I'm like, it was so poignant, the, the what is it, uh, what was Tug, what was his Scorcher movie franchise? Six. Scorch, Scorcher, and I'm like, oh my god, it still rains today, I'm like, yeah, we just got Thor 4, which was in this trilogy. I'm like, yeah, most of the Marvel movies don't get four movies in their installment. But the problem is it's a universe. So everything feels like it's just, you know, the next sequel to the cinematic universe. Well, Brett, I was thinking of when we first saw this movie, what, 2008 was its release? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, dude, there's been like two movies in, in cinema history that have achieved six movies. And now I'm like, yeah, it's just Fast and Furious. It's just Marvel. It's just Star Wars. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, back in that time, it would, it would have been I, Lethal Weapon might have still had stuff coming out. But the one I can remember that had that was the Bourne franchise that had. What was it? Three movies at that point. Then I think they had the spinoff, which is the Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner. And then now it's gotten its own fourth Born, which I guess is fifth in the series where it was the Born. It wasn't Ultimatum. That was the third one. What was it? Born, Born Again, Jason Born. I think I think it was called Jason Born. <laughs> yeah, the, the um, most recent was Jason Born. And I, you know what's funny enough? Uh, it kind of mirrors Tom Cruise's career with Mission Impossible. Like Tom yeah. Cruise in a way is a little bit tug speedman at this point. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that, I thought, <laughs> the product placement with the booty juice, like, at the certain point, they're doing the Vietnam, I laughed, I laughed, and I'm sure it's a subtle thing I didn't laugh at as much when we saw it in 2008, but when they're walking through the jungle, and he pulls out booty juice, and I'm like, this is supposed to be a Vietnam, like, period piece, and he's pulling out a can of booty juice for the product placement, I'm like, yeah, because product placement is a huge thing in Hollywood, we're like, it doesn't have to make sense that it's here, but, like, we're gonna go ahead and jam it in, because it's, the money is coming in here. Yeah, and he even goes out of the way to drop a line, he's like, gotta take out this booty sweat that I got back in Da Nang. And I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. And I, I love it later when they call back to it again, when Tug is is talking to, uh, I can't remember Jay Baruchel's character's name, but he uses the booty sweat to, like, he stabs it with his knife and pretends like he's pissing with it. Like, I was just laughing hysterically at that little gag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's so many fun little things. I love... <laughs> 
when the kid brings him the little Oscar, <laughs> the little stick figure Oscar. If I'm oh. honest, again, in 2008, I think that joke might have unfortunately flown over my head where I just thought it was a stick figure like, hey, Papa, like here, it's a token. But like, now I'm like, oh, no, it's his Oscar that he should have won for Simple Jack. Like there is so much of that. <laughs> little stuff that i was like oh okay it makes so much more sense to me what's going on here it's an honor to just be nominated wait you you were nominated well no but i mean it would have been an honor if i had been (laughs) so i think a lot of that i think this is going to intertwine with elephant in the room because there's the one that we know we're going to talk about but there's also i think the simple jack Um, yeah simple jack too yeah uh Wait, there was a Simple Jack 2? They made Electric Boogaloo? Um, but obviously, the the big thing that I think in 2008, I still can't believe they did. Like, all right, Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface is obviously what we're talking about first here. It's one of those in 2008, you can't believe that it's happening. I think that it's a weird thing to talk about in this movie because there's a point to them doing it. Now, I don't... The weird thing is, like, I don't know if it justifies doing it, but... The point that they're trying to make, and I think the best line in the movie that examples that is when, or as an example, that is when um, uh, Al Pacino, he's, you know, uh, Kevin Robert Downey Jr.'s character is like, why why are you even, why did you even want to be in the movie? He goes, well, maybe I thought, you know, there actually needed to be some representation since there was only one good black role and they gave it to you. And I'm like, oh, that's very on the nose what they're talking about here. And it's like, if people, I feel like people are laughing that there's blackface in the movie and if that's what you're laughing at the joke that's not the joke that's not the point of why they're doing it and then you are missing the point and there there might be a slight issue the, the issue that they're going after is again the fact that like they have a, a black role but they gave it to an australian who went through a tone a tone changing surgery so that they could do the role and it's like yeah there's some issues and, and hollywood hasn't necessarily fixed that since 2008 no, and I mean, it, it's a commentary on Hollywood, you know, since the beginning of time. I mean, we literally encountered it when we did uh, The Professionals, you know, with Jack Palance playing a, a Mexican hero. Uh, again, it's like, hey, that role could have been played by a Mexican, but no, you had to get a white dude to do it. So, uh, yeah, the, the reason I don't have a problem with the blackface is it's there for a very specific reason. The movie is very clear about why it's there. And again, characters it's addressed multiple times, not only the time that you just said there, but uh, at one point in the movie, he, you know, he says, you people, uh, Ben Stiller says, you people, and Robert Downey Jr. is like, what do you mean, you people? And then Al Pacino is like, what do you mean, you people? So, yeah, they called it out multiple times to let you know that the intent is to skewer Hollywood, much like they do with the rest well, of the movie. And even the the next layer down from that is you have – the Australian who's playing a black person who is clearly doing a caricature of what he thinks. I mean, it's blackface, but he's doing, you know, black personality. And Al Pacino calls that out. Like, I don't know, understand why you're doing this fried chicken, or is it chicken George, fried George? I forget exactly what he calls the character. I "I don't understand why you're doing this because we don't all speak like that. But then the Australian actor gets upset when Al Pacino starts making fun of the Australian culture and like immediately like defensive, like how can you be do don't, don't make a caricature out of the Australian. Like you realize that's what you're doing. And there's this two way street of like, you don't even like, because you're an actor, you somehow think that you get to bypass that when in reality, like you can't be upset by the fact that someone's making a caricature of your culture while at the same time, making a character of someone else's culture. I'm like, I even thought that the fact that they went to that level, I thought was, was great and interesting. 
Yeah, so they, they literally address it three different ways, all three funny, because, I mean, we don't do comedy a lot on here, but anytime we do, I like to mention I love when a comedy is not just a series of hijinks. There's story, there's development, and you're laughing, and that's the case with 100% of this movie. Mm. Now, the simple Jack stuff, I think, a little, little harder to defend. I think it's... I don't. I think I would defend it in the same way. I think it still goes to because the whole. <laughs> I think they they are a little more aggressive with that joke um, than they were with the blackface, which I, you can understand why they probably had some reservations. Like Robert Downey Jr. really didn't even want to do the role, but he liked the script so much that he decided to to do it. But it's the same thing that they're talking about, you know, that you never go full retard and all that. It's like they're making a satire on the fact that like these people are essentially exploiting handicapped people to get awards like it's not that they care or not it's like they realize what the level they can do so that they can bring home the gold statue and that's the commentary they're making on that again i think that they are way more aggressive with that satire than again they are with the i think they let the blackface speak a lot for itself whereas with the handicap or the mentally talented, they decided to really throw retard out there a whole bunch. And then even Ben Stiller act, you know, the like, it's like at a certain point, like, okay, you, you definitely, like you've, you've decided that this is the joke that you're going to double down on. I still think it is pertinent in what they did. And and again, the commentary that they're trying to make on Hollywood is again, they're essentially exploiting these people for awards. It has nothing to do with necessarily having a better story or actually because they care. It's that, at the end of the day, they're just trying to get another award. Yeah, and again, I love that you can you can feel that you know Ben Stiller and uh, Justin Theroux wrote this from inside of Hollywood because like even uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s speech about like, hey, you know, here's an example. You know, Forrest Gump. Yeah, was he a little bit slow? Yes, but hey, he could play ping pong. He charmed Richard Nixon. Uh, Rain Man, hey, he he's kind of slow, but he can count cards. Like, basically just saying, I mean, literally, yeah, you never go full retard, you, you know, whereas Simple Jack is literally chasing a butterfly with a mallet. Well, and even they, they bring it back up later in the movie when he's watching their performance. And Kirk, uh, that's Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Kirk is like, oh, you can see he's doing better here. Now he's he's able to relate with the, you know, the character, the audience will be able to relate with him because he's, he's pulling back a little bit on you. Like, yeah, again, they're still making the commentary that it's still, they're objectifying. They're just finding a way like, oh, if he pulls back on it, now the audience can relate and now he'll get the award. It's like, they're still not making it better. Like, it's it's just, again, it's, it is... A method to their to, to them getting to the end and even then making fun of method actors where it's I don't break I don't break character till I do the commentary. And it's like, yeah, like it's ridiculous. It's, it's insane that you have to become that method in order to act. When uh, Damien first drops him in the jungle and he's collecting their cell phones and he goes to Kirk Lazarus and Kirk Lazarus is like, when no phones in 1969, I'm head to toe authentic. I'm like, oh, that is so perfect. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I just, it's, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, those were definitely the, the two biggest things that they, you know, I think objectification in Hollywood that they decided to approach. I think it was, they didn't do anything with, with gender in this movie, which, yeah, how much can you cram into it? Like, I think you have to kind of pick and choose the battles you want to, but I mean, I'm honestly somewhat surprised that they didn't try and, and sneak that one in somewhere. 
Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, no pun intended, this the the subject matter in this movie is was a minefield to navigate, but I think Ben Stiller as a director and, and the writing team, they absolutely navigated it perfectly. There's a reason that this movie isn't canceled. With his is as cancel culture as 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 we've become, uh, some justified, some not. The the reason that this hasn't been canceled is because, like we said, the intentions are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know kind of where this movie, the antithesis, or I don't think I'm using that word, but where it came from, where Ben the Stiller Genesis? got the idea? Thank you, Genesis. Thank you. Where Ben Stiller got the idea for it? Uh, the only thing I know is it's something that he was thinking about since the late 80s, but I don't know anything more specific than that. So apparently it was, and I'm sure I'm going to paraphrase this, so people should look it up completely before quoting me, but essentially what it was is he had a bunch of his acting buddies. They were going through these really intense, or I won't even see really intense, they were going through these fake boot camps to prepare for war movies, and they would come out of the boot camps and basically say, like, they they trained like a soldier. They're like a soldier because they did the boot camp, and he found it just absolutely hysterical. Like, you're not even close to being a soldier. Like, you have no idea what it's like going to war. And he thought it was just... Again, hysterical, this idea that an actor would go through boot camp, this fake boot camp, and think that somehow that qualified them as being a war. Like, they're a patriot, you know? Like, I never was. <laughs> I was in the Coast Guard. Like, the, the whole thing with Four Leaf when he's talking about that, I think is a direct attack on the people that, <laughs> you know, I went to the boot camp. I'm a patriot. I'm making war movies. And um, so that's where it came from. And I like that it evolved because I, I guess some of the original ideas – I guess it took eight or ten years before, if you said it was from the 80s even longer than that, before he started getting this idea fleshed out, was it was going to be them going to a boot camp, and the whole movie was going to be them going through the boot camp. I'm glad it was beyond that, and it was them actually making the movie, because I think that's way more interesting, watching them try and make the movie, and then as it, it basically falls apart, and then again, pulling back the curtain on Hollywood. Yeah, I, if it had been boot camp, I think it would have gotten a little stale. I, I liked how big this movie felt. Like, it looked like they spent an actual war budget movie, a war movie the beginning. budget on this. Yeah. The beginning was shot beautifully as a war movie. And then it's like, that's what I thought was like interesting is that and even the helicopter approach when they're dropping them off in the middle of the jungle. Like, that whole approach was very good. I even really liked having the modern music. I think... I don't know. I don't remember what exactly the song was, but the fact that it wasn't like a Vietnam era song when they were dropping oh, them in modern no. times into the jungle. And then it, and then they started playing some more Vietnam era songs. But, uh, you know, but I thought it was really cool that it's like, oh, this is kind of the the modern approach of what they're doing here. So they're not playing a, a traditional song in, in, in this particular scene. Yeah, I think it was uh, like Name of the Game by maybe Crystal Method, I believe. I'm not 100% on the artist, but yeah, I thought that was a good touch. And yeah, just a, a beautifully shot movie throughout. And I mean, we got to give a quick nod since you mentioned the beginning explosion. Danny McBride in this movie. I, I, I love, love to think McBride about so much. him and Nick Nolte shooting scenes together, just hanging out between takes. I would love <laughs> to have seen some behind the scenes of that interaction. Well, I wrote down a couple of his lines. What was the one about the <laughs> Mother Nature just wet her pants suit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when he's doing the oh, explosions. Brett, you know what line I had forgotten about that fucking made me laugh harder than any line in this movie is when he thinks he's killed Damien and he's he's like, he can't, he doesn't want anybody to find out because he almost blinded Jamie Lee Curtis on Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. <laughs> yes. I mean, 
obviously the fact that we've reviewed that was the cherry on top, but I'm like, uh, when was there even an explosion in that movie that would lead to blindness? But just, <laughs> and then the fact that he goes on to work with her in the Halloween movie, I, I just love that. But that was the line of the movie for me. I mean, lines, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into it. Because I assume uh, Cruise Like Thunder is just Tom Cruise's patrol of less gross men in this movie. Yes, 100%. Completely unexpected and completely amazing. Yeah, you shit the money bed, my friend. <laughs> I'm going to shove my fist so far up your ass that every time you have a thought, it's going to have to tiptoe around my wedding ring. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, did, did you want to get into Tom Cruise? Yes, let's absolutely talk about Tom Cruise in this movie. So, I remember shortly after this movie, there was some conversation about him getting a spinoff as that character. Uh, he never got it because I think that the tide changed very quickly on what was acceptable and what, what wasn't in a movie, and that, and that kind of never happened. But man, I, I did not know that Tom Cruise had this kind of performance. And, I, and frankly, I didn't think that he would be bold enough to do it. But if if what I read is true, this was 100% his idea. Yeah, yeah. He was behind even the prosthetics. Like, apparently he got prosthetic hands so that his hands would look swollen and larger. Like, the amount of detail he went into. He's the one who came up with the dance. <laughs> I love tom cruise and some of his i'm gonna need you to take a second and step back and literally fuck your face oh, don't say that word brett <laughs> no. when he when he's on the video and he's like who's the key grip and then the guy raises his hand he's like i want you to go over there and punch that director in the face and the guy's just like sorry and god that the trail of that punch i always was impressed with too because it looks like he really socks him Oh, God, I just, yeah, his, he is, he's so memorable in this movie and completely, because if I'm not mistaken, when I watched this movie the first time, I was not, I did not know Tom Cruise was in it. So when he shows up hidden. on that. Yeah, it was hidden yeah, in the marketing. And he shows up on that, that satellite feed. And you're like, is that fucking Tom Cruise? <laughs> and then he just like, like you said, a complete, you would never expect that performance from Tom Cruise. Like, it, he takes all of his asshole characters he's ever played and takes them to the nth degree. Like, it is just all the way as far as he can completely take that character. And it's great to watch him just completely release it because it is absolutely hysterical watching him tear into people. I hope that when he finally decides that he's too old to be running and jumping from building to building in the Mission Impossible franchise, that he takes chances like this again. I mean... He just made God knows how much money on Top Gun, so he, he doesn't need the money. So uh, I hope he he gets this daring again at least once before his career's over. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Maybe he'll get a chance to do a, maybe an HBO miniseries or something like that with Les Grossman, where he gets to do the the whole thing. <laughs> and then Bill Hader, a nutless monkey could do your job. No, seriously, a nutless monkey could do your job. Now get out of here. Yeah, I love that he. It was a it was a, sh a, a shit sandwich. He shit on him, and then he said said something nice, but he couldn't let him leave without taking him back down a notch. <laughs> Even the, uh, I mean, to go back to the whole inside Hollywood portion of Les Grossman, where it's like you don't understand, we'll actually make more money off of the insurance with this. This movie's gone completely off. Like we're actually just gonna let him go. 
Did you okay? So did you know that his the agent, uh, Tug's agent, was not was not originally cast as um, oh hell, what's his name, McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey? You know who it was originally? Uh, it was uh, apparently it was potentially two different people. Uh, I know Owen Wilson is one, and Tom Cruise was at one point. Uh, that's what Ben Siller approached him to play, is what I understand. No, oh, I I understood it as Owen Wilson, and Owen Wilson basically had the role, and then there were. Owen Wilson tried to kill himself and Ben Stiller went back to him and said like you sit this one out you get yourself in a good place and that's when they went and got Matthew McConaughey to do it yeah so what from what I understand in the very early stages Ben Stiller approached Tom Cruise to play the agent and then that's when Tom Cruise came out with this batshit idea about Les Grossman and then it went to Owen Wilson in, in the sequence of events as, as you described but yeah I, I'm so glad it's McConaughey because I he he Again, the thing about this movie is there's not one bad scene. There's literally not no. one bad scene. No. <laughs> and, oh my god. When when fucking Ben Stiller, Tug Speedman kills the panda and <laughs> his agent thinks he killed a hooker and he's like, Amanda, that's probably not even a real name. <laughs> I need you to hang up. You killed a prostitute. <laughs> I love I killed the thing I love most in the world. You killed a prostitute. No, a panda. <laughs> Is that a little little glimpse behind the door with that one too? You're telling me I could have a G five airplane, G five airplane. airplane. Oh. I I even love the the with, again the Danny McBride, Cody, and Fourleaf when he takes off the or the, the I don't know the the name of the gun. I just know the sound it makes when it kills a man. And then later in the movie, like I don't know the sound it makes. I just know the sound it makes when it lies. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the uh the other line i loved from cody at the beginning of the movie just he's, he, he says he's got about 200 pounds of shit your pants that's the way he describes explosives and i didn't notice the first time i saw this movie but he's got one of his ears are blown off burnt off yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh he lost it in the line of duty too no. yeah you know? <laughs> um so i think we skipped over trailer trash so i think i i briefly talked about it in in my my uh synopsis i forgot about the trailers at the beginning of this movie in fact when it started i was watching it through amazon and all that and it started i'm like what the hell since when do they have trailers at the beginning of these movies and then i realized i'm like oh shit no <laughs> this is this is i remember now this is part of the movie with was it booty sweat is booty sweat all the scorcher scorcher six and then satan's alley God. <laughs> i don't know months. i don't know if i put it together with the satan's alley title either back in 2008 but <laughs> clear what that's referring to <laughs> and then what the, the fatties is that uh jeff the Gordon? fatties yeah. yeah jack black in this movie is like what is crazy is this movie is about a bunch of act, basically with the exception of Kirk, right? Robert Downey Jr.'s character. All of them are trying to break outside of what their comfort zone is because you've got, you know, uh, Jeff, I think is Jack Black's character. He's traditionally a comedian and now he's in this serious role. And then you've got Tug, who's this action, washed up action star who's trying to get back in. And, you know, it's all of these, it's just, it's such a weird like misfit of of uh was it the island of misfit toys <laughs> the way that they pitched the movie 
Well, even Al Pacino, he's like, you know, I want to kind of diversify my portfolio and not just be known as a musician. Again, how cliche. How many times have we heard, you know, any singer or rapper that has has been in a movie? They always thought, you know, I wanted to give my try my hand at acting. So, yeah, the the stereotypes and tropes are just rampant in this movie and, and they're all played pitch perfect. Yeah. And then even Kevin, who's just kind of the 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 starry-eyed, naive kid coming in, like, oh, you were my idols growing up, and then realizes yeah, all of his heroes are assholes. Like, you guys read the script, right? Just none of them say anything. Like, well, he's just, like, realizing that everyone is a piece of shit in Well, Hollywood. yeah, no, I love it. He's like, you know, it's it's just like this in the book. You know, you didn't read the book? And they're like, no. And then he's like, what's well, this the same in the script? So, yeah, I love that slow realization. Like, these people are idiots, and they're self-centered. <laughs> like, Tug Speedman can't even read a fucking map. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, so I think the last piece we have for five point inspection is in the shit. So it kind of a double meaning. Like, again, we, we already commented on the way it's shot when it when it wants to look like a real Vietnam movie. It looks exactly like a real Vietnam movie. But I, what always blows me away about this movie is I get very few movies can I get lost in anymore. I still got lost mm. in this one. Like I stopped seeing Ben Stiller. I, you know, obviously it's easy to stop seeing Robert Downey Jr. But like normally I don't even like Jack Black in movies, but I didn't see Jack Black. I saw, maybe it's because it's layers. It's Jack Black playing Jeff Portnoy, playing whatever his, mm. his Vietnam character is. But I was just so, same with McConaughey. I, I, I forgot that that's, you know, Rust Cole from True Detective. So there's so many layers to this movie. I think that's why I could get lost in it, but I, I that never happens, especially with a comedy. So I, I was just impressed that it could still transport me somewhere. Well, yeah, it's interesting to make a satire on Hollywood with very big known Hollywood actors. And then to your point, you don't look at it as like, oh, this is Ben Stiller playing Ben Stiller. This is Robert Downey Jr. playing Robert Downey Jr. Like they're all playing a different they all have a different satire of a different character like yeah it is, it is it's again I, I i don't think this movie gets enough enough credit for for what it actually pulled off and what it was yeah and i have to assume that people are just gun shy about talking about it because of the the, the two elephants in the room but it, it really is a shame because you can tell you can always tell the difference between hey this was a you know, studio idea that they just think will make money and something that is truly personal to the creator, in this case, Ben Stiller, uh, because just you can just tell that this script has probably had multiple revisions, multiple passes, uh, no no shortcuts at all. It, it really impressed with the script. Yeah, the only thing I can think of that people could try and criticize is I do think the resolution at the end kind of comes out of nowhere where the agent just suddenly comes out of the middle of the woods with the brief. It's like, that's the only point of the movie where I'm like, okay, they, they needed to wrap this up. So they just kind of had some of these strings loosely tied together so they could get out. But even that, I don't think is a huge detriment to the movie. Um, it is funny <laughs> at the end, he gets, he still gets the award for Tropic Thunder. Basically the, the documentary of the movie that was almost made or, you know, whatever it was called. But, um, yeah, that's the only thing I could think of is at the very it winds up. I think it wraps up very quickly and I won't say messy, but it's definitely you could tell they were running out of runway to keep it under that two hours where it didn't suddenly start to over, you know, stay its welcome. So things just kind of happened to get them out of there again. Not 
I didn't think it was a big big deal. You had the callback from you know the first scene, and now you Tug actually is able to cry because again, that was even watching it this time. I didn't realize he was trying to cry. I thought like he was just making weird faces, and then I realized afterward when he starts crying uh, after Kirk takes the blackface off, it's like oh, he was trying to cry at the beginning of the movie and couldn't cry on command because he's not that kind of actor. He's an action actor. And I was like, okay, this is a good callback. I didn't quite realize this is where we're going, but now. There is a beginning and an end to this to this story. We've actually seen them grow as as people and as I guess you could say as as performers. But um, yeah, that would be my only criticism of the movie. Is yeah, it is kind of goofy when the agent comes out of the woods with the briefcase with the the satellite like laptop and throws that up to save. It was a, them. It was a TiVo. Oh, the T. Fuck, you're right. It's a TiVo again. At yeah. least it was a callback. It was even though I, I didn't remember it because I'm an idiot, but um, at least it, it's a callback, but it is one of those like, how the fuck did he find him? <laughs> and that quickly, like, did he parachute out of the G5? Yeah, because I, I remember at, in the village scene watching it this time, I was like, how are they going to wrap this up exactly? Because I had forgotten all about that. And then, yeah, he, Desex Machina just runs out of the forest. And, and then they, they just presumably also leave him there. Oh, yeah, he runs back into the forest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I guess he'll find his way back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, they're, it's it's thin character development, but in a movie like this, the fact that they even bothered to do character development uh, impresses me. Yeah, I mean, it's... To your point, it's all shallow. You have the 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 druggy actor is able to resist doing drugs at the end. The you know the actor who doesn't have an identity discovers who he really is and doesn't need to pretend to be other people. You've got you know Tug is able to diversify outside of that. I think you know the Al Pacino being gay didn't really get enough time. That also felt kind of tacked into it. Like he gets a resolution at the end, but. It doesn't feel like that got as much time as it needed to in order for that to actually develop and blossom. Uh, and then I think Kevin, we didn't. Kevin is probably the one who gets. I think Kevin is basically our avatar, obviously, as we talk about. So he doesn't really get a resolution, but that's because I think he was just supposed to be basically our lens into the movie. And like we are also learning that all of these top act, you know, your heroes are actually idiots that aren't professional at all. It's just, they just so happen to be good at acting and therefore, and you know, Hollywood is masturbatory as it is, you know, basically gives out awards to each other. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's thin, but there, there is something there. And I think the main focus is more, you know, obviously the chop shots at are the chip shots at, uh, at Hollywood. Yeah, and just back to the Al Pacino thing, it, it felt like one too many ingredients in the stew because it it got just a couple of throwaway lines in the middle of the movie and it's like, oh, a joke. The Lance he was talking about was Lance Bass from NSYNC. Um, well, but, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it just goes back to, again, all of these shallow character developments. Like, what can we give him? What is his internal conflict? So it's like, oh, you know, two-thirds of the movie at a campfire, he'll reveal that he's a closeted gay man, and then at the very end of the movie, we'll show him with that he's with Lance, that he he opened up and he's he's not a closeted gay person anymore. It's like, oh, okay, like I don't that as shallow as shallow can be, you know. Oh, here's point A, here's point B. We're not really gonna discuss how we get to those two places. And credit to the actor, Brandon T. Jackson, he's the only one in this cast that I don't think I've seen again. I have to look him up, but uh, I thought he he 
stood his ground against Robert Downey Jr. pretty well. Um, him with uh, what's the guy who plays plays Kevin? Both of them, I think, went into a lot of uh, voice acting. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. Neither of them, I think, are doing a lot of actual in person. I guess yeah. Like I said, oh, what is it? Uh, Jay Burr. I'm not even gonna Bear try. Shell. Rochelle and Brandon T. Jackson. Yeah, I think both of them kind of transitioned into mainly uh, voiceover and animation. Well, that makes sense because Brandon T. Jackson has a very distinct voice. Yep. So if you don't have anything else, I think we can jump into some more of our segments. Did you have anything else you wanted to, to talk about in terms of uh, five-point inspection? No, no I, I think we uh, we hit it. I think we'll go and do some blue book. Travis, you ready for some blue book? I am ready for some blue book. All right, sir. The sticker price of this here flick was an estimated $92 million. With that much top tier talent, you have to imagine it's probably going to be a pricey movie. And those fantastic war, you know, uh, authentic war shots. I mean, I can't imagine how much they paid in pyrotechnics in a comedy, right? Um, what do you think this movie brought in U.S. and Canada? Well, I, I have to admit I was spoiled to a moderate degree because I was listening to an interview with Ben Stiller about this movie and he called it a moderate success. So I do have a bit of a guide. I'll say U.S. and Canada. Sixty eight million dollars. U.S. and Canada. 110. Okay, okay. 110 million. Do you want to guess what it did worldwide? I'm going to assume it didn't do tremendously well. What did you say the U.S. and Canada was? 110? 110 million, yep. I'll say 179. Not far off. Not too far off. Uh, 195. So looking at a difference of about, what, 85 million? Almost what the, the cost of the movie was. You made up in... In your worldwide yeah. release? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize the budget was this high for the movie. So yeah, that, that's a great gross. But against that, what it costs, I could see it, why it's considered a moderate success. Yep, yep, yep. You ready for some tag and title? Let's do it. All righty, Travis, I am going to give you three taglines for this movie. One tagline is going to be an official tagline for the movie. One is going to be a tagline for a movie I found adjacent, and one is going to be a tagline that I made myself. What I need you to do is tell me the official tagline for 2008's Tropic Thunder. Are you ready? I think this is going to be a tough one, but I'm ready. Here we go. Prepare to go off script. Get some lights, camera, abduction. Ooh. I think you made up lights, camera, abduction. Okay. Uh, you said get ready to go off script was the first one. Prepare to go off script. I'm going to say... I'm going to take a chance here. I'm going to say that's for the player which we have okay. also reviewed on the 
this podcast. And then what was the one in the middle? Get some. I'll say that's an official tagline. You nailed the official tagline. Get some was an official tagline for this. What was the tagline for Superbad? I could not tell you. Uh, I kind of thought that was it when I read this. Uh, I'm going to check that real quick. Um, Lights, camera abduction was for uh, Hail Caesar. Ah, And prepare to go off script was was mine uh come and get some was super bad ah okay okay so pretty pretty close there but yeah so you the other official tagline for this movie which i thought was a little too easy was the movie they think they're making isn't a movie anymore yeah and it's not particularly good either so no it's pretty generic granted i think get some I don't know where get some came from. I would not have guessed that as a tagline for this movie. So you got it by process of elimination. So kudos to you. Uh, give yourself a round of applause. But yeah, there you have it. There it was tag and title for this. The movie. only the only reason I can think maybe it was get some is maybe an homage to Apocalypse Now because. Uh, uh, no, excuse me. Uh, homage to Full Metal Jacket, because as you recall, in when they're in Vietnam, the helicopter gunner is shooting women and children. He just keeps saying, get some, get some. So that, that might be a deep cut. I don't know why they would do that, but that's the only thing I can think that would make sense. Yeah, could be. So. All right, sir, do you have a time capsule for us this week? Uh, Yeah, real quick, though. Isn't this did Robert Downey Jr. do Iron Man this same year? I'm pretty sure he did. That's a hell of a year by him. Um, maybe I'm. I yeah. am about not. I yeah, because Iron right. Man was the same year as Batman or The Dark Knight, which was 08. So yeah, what a year for him. He was nominated for an Oscar for this too, which I thought was wild. Yeah, Iron Man, Tropic Thunder. Yeah, those were his two movies in 2008. And most impressive. Um. My time capsule this week is a little weak, but I just want to shout him out because he's one of my favorite underrated actors in Hollywood. As I mentioned, he co-wrote this with Ben Siller, Justin Theroux. Uh, Don't really think of him as a comedic actor, but uh, apparently he's a really funny guy to be able to uh, pitch in on this script. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're looking for a good TV show, I suggest uh, The Leftovers starring Justin Theroux. So just a little shameless publicity for an underrated actor who was on an underrated show. Who was also in our Hollywood trilogy in Mulholland Drive. Oh, shit. That's right. That is right. <laughs> so another callback to the Hollywood trilogy and why this movie should have been there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Better late than never, though. Absolutely. All right. I think that brings us to our namesake, Chop Shop. I believe this week you got horror that god smiled upon me and gave me probably my most comfortable category to chop this movie up um as i typically do i like to try and stay 
somewhat close to the original movie. So as I'm reading off my synopsis, obviously you'll feel there are some some things that are very similar to the movie that you watched. Help you fill in some of the gaps, and then obviously what I did to to modify it and turn it into a horror flick. So, Travis, with no further ado, I will give you my horror version of Tropic Thunder. This is me eating popcorn. I like it. Phantom popcorn. It's good stuff. Uh, The movie opens much the same way. Uh, Maybe without the trailers, because I think tonally that's going to make some issues here. So it opens with the... uh, We see an action-packed set as we get to see Tug's emotional dialogue with Kirk uh, when he keeps saying cut because he's not able to cry. So we again... Got awesome action sequence that you would expect from a war movie and then abruptly being cut because Tug is incapable of doing that kind of an emotional performance. Um, Tug is an action hero of a bygone era and as this is his last chance to redeem himself before he fades into obscurity. As a favorite of Tug, the studio has assembled a super ensemble with the hottest director and top tier Academy Award winner, not to mention a funny man, a record setting musician and an up and coming actor. Unfortunately, the inexperienced director paired with a bunch of uh, the talent from the outside basically meshes for a poor movie, right? He can't quite get the, the talent isn't ready. Like you have the, the Academy Award winner is good for this type of movie, but what they're trying to get, like you have a bunch of loose pieces that on paper to make money sound great, but they're just not a, they're not working, right? Um, so Les Grossman uh, we have the the scene where Les Grossman humiliates Damien in front of the cast and crew and threatens to blow up the whole production if Damien can't get things back on schedule. After the call is over, we're going to cut to Les calling someone else and telling them to move forward with Plan B and then a, uh, and to be quick about it. All right, so this is new. That's a new scene. So we cut back to the night. Uh, after the humiliation, Damien and Fourleaf have the meeting on the beach where Fourleaf convinces Damien to drop the actors in the middle of the shit to straighten them out. After a little more berating, Damien agrees to film a few scenes guerrilla style and then hope that the rest of the production gets better after suffering or after a little bit of suffering in the jungle so that they understand how, you know, it can always get worse. Damien and Cody fly out into the jungle in the dead of night and begin to prepare the trail with practical effects. As Damien uh, is marking areas he wants Cody to put the explosives, he can hear someone watching him. He calls out to Cody, but no one answers. Cody is um, Danny McBride's character, by the way. Um, you said so he calls he, out to Cody. He hears somebody watching him? How? how? What do you like mean? Like rustling in the bushes. Oh, okay, So he can gotcha. hear rustling in the bushes. Oh, thank you. So yeah, here's some rustling in the bushes behind him. That typical horror thing where like the camera's painting, so you, like, you're the, the perspective of you know our would-be killer. So... Uh, he's calling out to Cody, but there's no answer. After continuing to shout, Cody finally appears from off uh, camera and asks what he's shouting about. Damien says nothing but looks back into the jungle as the two head back to the chopper. The next morning, the small uh, cast and crew fly into the jungle where Damien once again gives his empowering speech before stepping on the landmine and blowing up to bits. The actors aren't convinced it's real uh, and not just practical effects. Tug convinces them to continue on as none of them have any comms and they need to make it to the end location regardless and they might as well act while they're on the way. So, as they're getting ready to walk into the jungle, some of Cody's pyrotechnics misfire along the tree line, scattering the group and co- or, uh, scaring the group and causing them to venture into the jungle in the wrong direction. So, a big thing in this, I took out the, the Viet Cong um, subplot and all that, so they, they're not going to show up. Um, but, uh, 
they wind up going into the jungle in the wrong direction. After some time without an update, Cody and Forley fly down uh, to the drop site and find the crater. Cody realizes that um, only Damien was blown up, and he tells Fourleaf that they have to go and find the actors. Fourleaf blames him for fucking up the tree line. Cody starts to freak out and explains how he's had a few set mishaps and grabs Fourleaf, removing his hooks and revealing that Fourleaf is a fraud. The, the two continue to tussle, and Fourleaf pushes Cody to the ground, and we see him hit his head on a rock. Fourleaf begins to run back to the chopper and turns back to look at Cody when he hears a twig crack behind him and sees a grenade being thrown at him. He catches it, the grenade explodes in his hands, he collapses in shock and dies. I love the irony of the man who was faking no hands goes out with no hands. I like that. Yep. In the jungle, the actors are clearly out of their element. The group bicker among themselves, all revealing their various vices. Tug Speedman is chasing the approval of others, which is why he's done so many bad movies. Uh, be it let, not wanting to let down his friends or the studio or trying to win awards, uh, whatever the reason is, he's typically doing it for somebody else and not himself, right? Kirk Lazarus is running away from his past and desperately trying to be anything but the son of a poor Australian farmer. Jeff Portney is a drug addict, Al Pacino is only in it for the money and fame, and Kevin Sandusky idolizes his heroes. So, kind of took, again, the gay subtone that we just talked about, like, it didn't really fit in the movie, wasn't really going to pay off, so we just wound up, Al Pacino is just, you know, basically vain. Uh, that night, the men can hear something in the jungle, but they can't make out quite what it is. Al Pacino tells them all to stop worrying and pulls out another can of booty sweat. <laughs> Kevin makes a comment about how he's going to have to pee all night if he doesn't stop drinking those, and Alpha tells him to mind his own business. The group goes to sleep. The next morning, they wake up, and Alpha Chino is missing. The group look around when Jeff screams. They all find Alpha at the bottom of a small ditch with his neck, bro neck broken. The majority of the group assumes he fell down the a hill trying to go pee, but Kevin thinks his neck looks like it was twisted. The group dismisses him, and they venture further into the jungle. Jeff is going through withdrawals and, uh, and is starting to concern the group. Jeff swears that he can hear someone thing following them in the jungle, and he begins to fire the fake rounds from his gun uh, in an effort to try and scare it off. We jump cut to Cody, who is now perked up in the middle of the jungle hearing the sound, um, and then back to the group. Kirk suggests that they rest for a while and figure out what to do with Jeff. That night, the men continue to share personal stories. As Kirk shares his, Kevin realizes he's just summarizing plot points from other movies, and the Kirk hasn't actually shared anything personal with the group. The men go to sleep, and the next morning, Kirk is missing. Everyone is rightfully paranoid as they begin to yell for Kirk. Jeff once again finds the body first. This time, Kirk is hanging by his feet, and he's been flayed. Think Predator. Ooh. This... Because he's a man who he's not comfortable in his own skin. That's good. The three men begin to scream when Cody comes out of the jungle and also begins to scream. After calming down, Cody informs the group that he's been looking for them and that Four Leaf is dead as well. Cody takes the map from Tug, uh, and him and Kim, uh, Kevin realize that they have been uh, going the wrong way, and they reroute the group. With the new sense of urgency, the group move and. Uh, the, the group move and close to nightfall find an abandoned heroin camp or like, you know, manufacturing facility. The group assumes that drug authorities shut the place down, but there's still the ghost of the operation. They decide that they can uh, stay the night here and it'll be safer and easier for them to defend themselves in the camp, uh, than a campfire. 
That night, Jeff speaks off, or Jeff sneaks off to find any leftover heroin and comes across a giant pile of it. He begins to resist when suddenly he's pushed into the pile and a hand can be seen holding his face into the pile until he collapses from an overdose. The next morning, the men are once again awakened to one of their party missing. They split up, but Tug and Kevin wind up uh, reconnecting back together. They find Jeff's body when Cody comes around the corner. As the three men lament, Kevin notices white powder on Cody. He asks if Cody found any more heroin somewhere on the compound, and Cody says no. Kevin can't hide his revelation, and Cody just looks disappointed. Tug looks over and then notices two and tries to attack Cody. Cody easily pushes him off and pulls a gun on the two of them. It wasn't supposed to be like this, you know? Y'all were supposed to uh, uh, walk into the tree line and blow up like that fucking director. Do you know how much of a pain in the ass it's been tracking y'all motherfuckers through the damn jungle? Kevin asks why, and Cody reveals that he might be a pyrotician, but he's also a fixer for the production company. If a movie starts to go off budget or looks like it's uh, going to be a loss before it even gets released, he goes in and gets it back on track or makes sure there's insurance money to be made. As he's explaining everything, Tug rushes him and knocks him down, uh, getting shot uh, getting uh, shot in the process. The three men continue to fight. It's not long before Cody has the gun again and is pointing it at Kevin. Cody tries uh, to make a deal with Tug, saying he knows the studio has a thing for him and he can still get out of this. Tug has a moment of truth and throws a handful of heroin in Cody's eye and then stabs him with a, lo uh, with a loose pole. So basically, this is, you know, Tug getting an opportunity to make his own decision and not just because the studio will take care of him. So Tug and Kevin find their way back to the helicopter and start, you know, start to, to fly. At some point, I guess some line will say that how one of them had helicopter training or something. So it makes sense. Cody I mean, sat... Maybe one of them played a pilot and they went through flying boot camp. And I mean, now they're they're practically a pilot, you know? Exactly. So Cody's sat phone is strapped to the center console between them on the helicopter. When a message comes up uh, from, from Les Goldman, it reads, Are you and Tug done? Kevin looks up at Tug, looking back at him, and the camera goes black. Ooh. Ooh, we pulled a little me this week. Is that the, <laughs> is that the end? That's the end. Oh, now, <laughs> are we ever going to know more? I don't know. At this point, was Tug in it on the whole time? Is Tug going to kill Kevin? Who knows? Maybe maybe there will be a sequel. Maybe one of them will show up in a future Chop Shop. Oh, you, sound, you, you played my own game against me this week. <laughs> uh, well done. You know, you know the number one thing I love about it? Well, two things. I love that you had the characters, their death matched part of their personality. That's that's a beautiful touch. But have we talked about off air the movie Arizona with Danny McBride? I don't think so. No. Have you have you seen that movie? Uh, is that the one where uh, they the housing development? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you remember him in that movie? How scary he can be? Yes. So yeah, I love the idea. <laughs> him chasing people through a jungle trying to kill them i could like i could just close my eyes and see that movie in my head so well done sir yeah and I've, i wanted to and i don't know if it translate obviously in a synopsis but i wanted to try and make it to where in the movie there's a almost a red herring that it could be jeff because jeff is the one who always finds the body um with the cuts back to Cody when he's in the jungle, we never know how close or far he is he makes the line about how he has to find him at the very beginning Les Grossman well, makes the comment he's going to blow up the production. 
And when you uh, said the thing about Kirk, like all the stories he's been telling were just part of his movie. He didn't actually have a backstory. I was like, it's because he's the killer. So, <laughs> yeah. And then I'm, and then the next scene, he's dead. I'm like, well, damn, I was wrong. But yeah, I, I was literally trying to guess it. Uh, for a hot second, I also wondered if you would go supernatural slash animal and it'd be some sort of like panda monster. <laughs> uh, I realized pretty quickly once he, somebody was tied up that it wasn't going to be a panda. But uh, yeah, I... Uh, I was on the edge of my seat for that whole chop shop. So uh, there's a reason it's your specialty. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, Do you have any final comments for the, uh, for the audience about this here movie? Um, like I said, it's, it's a top five comedy of all time for me. I think, uh, I've been pretty clear in my love for it. Uh, again, I, I pray that the Les Grossman universe will continue at some point, uh, even if Tom Cruise has to just finance the whole movie himself. But yeah, this if you like comedy, I will say if you're not like because we mentioned it in our Hollywood meta trilogy, the more you know about Hollywood and kind of the inner workings, the more you're going to get out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um if you're somebody who does not follow that at all, some of these jokes may not land and you may not have as much fun, but if you have any sort of industry knowledge, must, must watch. Yeah, and I think that it also goes towards, it will change the level of how uncomfortable or how angry this movie makes you at the same time, because I think if you take everything at face value, this is a movie that's easy to just point at like, oh, they're making fun of special needs people. They're, you know, there's blackface in this movie. It's like, well, you have to get pat. There's a reason they're doing it. And there's a commentary and a satire they're making. And if you can get to there, it's a very clever and fun movie. You have, again, a, a, a shot at Hollywood with this, you know, Vietnam war flick veneer over the top of it. Um, and I think both, both sides of it, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg and everything underneath it, I think are both done very well. And I, that's why I, I do. I very much appreciate this movie. It made me laugh once again, watching it all these years later. So I, I definitely think it, it holds up. It's just, you have to go into it with an understanding of, of what they're saying. Cause if you take any of this movie at, at face value, I, I could easily see where you would get, you know, maybe a little rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, no, very perfectly said. Uh, speaking of rub the wrong way, if you untie me, I will literally suck your dick right now. I will cradle the balls, stroke the shaft, work the pipe, and swallow the grape. Get over here, buddy. Let's do this. You knew I was going to end with that one. You had to yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also just love, again, the the thought that Jeff thinks he's getting away with it the whole movie. I just need some my jelly beans. It's my jelly beans. It's like when he finally tells Kevin and Kevin's like, oh, oh, really? You you have a drug addiction. Like, yeah, I, I would have never, never guessed. <laughs> and you know what? We talked about character in this movie. I love that before he gets tied to the tree, he tells them, like, no matter what I say, I will say I'm fine. Don't let me down. I'm like, that's that's a pretty nice character, like trade like of a of a guy who doesn't want to be addicted to drugs, but knows that he is. So, yeah, I, again, that much character in this movie is is kind of surprising. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this concluded our Thunder Trilogy. The next one is going to be the Corey Feldman. I don't exactly know how we're, what we're going to call it. But yeah, we've got three Corey Feldman movies 
the first being the loss. What are you what are you doing? What are you saying? I, I see body language. No, no. I just realized that this is also kind of another group dynamics trilogy. And I, I didn't even intend for it to be that way. But if you think about it. Does the, he have any game, solo movies or is he always on an ensemble for the most part? For the most part, an ensemble or at the very least, it was him and Corey Haim as a duo. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think he's really ever been in anything as like the true lead. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, yeah, we're going to do the Lost Boys, which Travis will be doing the chop chop. We're going to do the uh, the random number generator. Spin the wheel here in a second to see what he gets for chop shop. Then we're going to follow it up with the Goonies. And then what's the third one in the trilogy? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. From oh, fuck. how did I forget that? I was talking earlier. I was like, I could not remember what the third movie was. Yeah, that's honestly, I did not. I had to look it up when you suggested that because I didn't realize he was the voice of Donatello. So, yeah, I it's also basically the uh, Hollywood Chop Shop nostalgia trilogy because uh, I have fond memories of all three of those movies as, as a kid. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So. Are you ready to find out what you're getting? I assume we're saying The Lost Boys is horror. Which, what, yeah. what category are we taking out? Okay. I'd say horror. All right. It came up with a number two, which corresponds to blockbuster. All right. You need to make The Lost Boys into a blockbuster. Okay. Okay. I, I can work with that. Obviously, my specialty is miniseries, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I can make blockbuster work. That and Oscar bait. I think miniseries and Oscar bait are your bread and butter. I don't yeah, know which one's bread and which one's butter, but that's those those two are your bread and butter. It's it's how my bread is buttered. How about that? <laughs> Alrighty, sir. Uh, if you have no last words, I think we will call it here. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. <laughs> God, I love that line too. I the other scene I forgot about that I laugh so hard is when he goes, Ben Stiller goes and says he's gonna go to the village and live with his son, and then immediately comes running back with the kid stabbing him repeatedly. Oh, I can't. When he throws that. the kid. He throws. I do like that they gave us the shot of the kid crawling out of the river, so we know that the kid was okay. Um, yes. Yeah, I didn't want to just get on here and just re-describe all the scenes, but it, it's, like I said, not a bad scene in the whole movie. Hell, even when Ben Stiller's going around, he's got the sat phone and he's got the panda that he killed and he's wearing the panda. He's, he's made it into his panda war costume. I am the movie. Oh. It is. It's such, it is such a good movie. I Tropic Thunder, yes. It holds up so much. Yeah, I might try to track down the Blu-ray, for real. I'd be interested to see what the director's cut is, because I think it adds like 20 twenty-ish minutes. Yeah, I think it was either twenty or twenty-two minutes longer. Yeah. So, but uh, getting dangerously close to that staying too long, but we'll see. Alrighty, well, thank you everybody for joining us, and we hope to see you next week for the Lost Boys. Did I get your five point wrong? No. What do you mean? Oh. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> oh, you were looking I, at I your phone even... like. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't even have. Uh, I've got the script up, so I was just looking at that. Okay. I was like, God damn it. Did I write it down wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. You're perfect.
Okay. Well, you're not perfect. Oh, you're kind of an asshole. Hey, but... hey. Well, in my own perfect way, I'm a perfect <laughs> asshole. So I'd like to As, that's, oh, oh, and look, I just noticed I didn't plug in the charger to my laptop. So we're, we are smooth sailing. All right, let's go. Cole, now Cole, we never agreed to that. It's not in the contract. Cole, go ahead and read it. Look, I don't know what kind of has been race driver, cokehead, power play, you're trying to, uh, let me just, <clears throat> that was no good. That was no good. So for the record, Brett, I wanted you to do the Les Grossman, but I was like, he's going to get yelled at for cussing too much. So I don't want to put it through that. <laughs> but in my head, I, I wanted the Mosher rant, but I, I was protecting your interests. I appreciate that. Thank you. 